Hey there, and welcome to the Bartender Atlas podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lindley. On this episode, I'm talking to my friend from Mexico City, Claudia Cabrera. Uh, Claudia runs a bar called Cayito de Baile, and also is the uh, Fernet Branca brand ambassador for Mexico. Uh, she gets into the story of how she got that job, and um, I mean, sometimes you want a coin so bad, you end up with a job. If you are unfamiliar with Bartender Atlas, we're a worldwide directory of bartenders. You can find us online at bartenderatlas.com. If you're a bartender and you're listening to this, please sign up. Get yourself on the site. I swear, we do our best to try to look out for and promote the bartenders so that when we can start serving drinks in any kind of regular way again, uh, we're there to support you. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at Bartender Atlas on Instagram. In the meantime, here is my talk with Claudia Cabrera on the Bartender Atlas podcast. Okay, Claudia, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a little kid? I wanted to study dinosaurs. <laughs> I was like super um, into, you know, all the Jurassic Park thing. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I want to be an anthropologist. And then after being in school for a while, I was like, nah, this is not going to happen. And then I was like, I, I really would love to be like... Um, marine biologist and then again school hit me and I was like nah it's not gonna happen so yeah those were my two things when I was little and whereabouts did you grow up right in Mexico City yeah, yeah. Uh, what sort of school did you go to so it's a private school uh, where they kept us like in control the whole time I think I was kind of a troubled child for my mom <laughs> she was like super young and you know I was this crazy kid when I was growing up so yeah, I stayed in the same school my whole life, you know, with the same friends. So I still have those friends. So that was like super great. And well, it was a bilingual school. Yep. So we had like half of the day was in English and half of the day was in Spanish. And they have like, you know, these teachers come from the States and everywhere. So that was kind of cool too. And we have students coming from Australia and the States. So, I mean, that helped a lot too you know, get to know like many different cultures and, and stuff like that. That is really cool. Uh, were you living at the yeah. school? No, I wasn't. No. Uh, okay. Like some guys came. Yeah. My mom was like, nah, you're not going. So when I was little, yeah, she was like keeping me in control big time. <laughs> right. Uh, and what sort of, you said you had the same friends the whole time cause you were at the same school all the time. What sort of things were you yeah. into other than your school work? Like were you into art or music? I know you said marine biology already. <laughs> Yeah, well, music, I was really, really bad at it. Um, <laughs> so I was playing soccer. I was playing basketball. I was doing taekwondo. Uh, like from five till 12 years, mm -hmm. uh, taekwondo and soccer. And then I was into kickboxing for a while. And then since I couldn't go to work with all the bruises in my, in my <laughs> face, I quit that. And I, I always loved drawing. So I was always, you know, making funny drawings drawings mm -hmm. and I started some painting classes lessons and after school I thought I was gonna go study in Canada actually I went to Vancouver because I want to study animation and then I met like a bunch of bartenders so it kind of just twisted into something else so yeah I, I didn't study animation I studied in the Metropolitan Bartending School in Vancouver and I I got to meet all these bartenders there so yeah, just so, kind of changed quickly. Yeah, sounds like. Do you still draw, like, just for fun? 
yeah, I'm always drawing. I love it. I just love it. But like, I mean, I don't have the as, as much time as I used to. So I'm just like, you know, making small drawings everywhere I am or whenever I get bored. I was like, I have this, um, like, uh, how do you say in English, ADD? Mm-hmm. See. Yeah, so I get I get distracted really easily, and I'm always drawing. That kind of helps me. I think you know that... when I'm making my yeah my menus, like all my recipes, I always make like tiny drawings on the side, and I mean I keep it I keep it going as much as I can. Do you end up using those sketches on the menus of Kaito, or do you have a separate designer that does all that? Just for the for the bartenders, just for the staff, so they. Uh, you know, they. I'll send you a picture of it. They're, they're okay. kind of funny. You said that you were going to school. You were interested in marine, marine biology. When did you lose interest in science and animal stuff and start focusing more on drawing? How old were you? I was like 16 years, maybe. Oh, okay. So and you... since it's 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 like super super hard for me to concentrate in, in things. I don't even know how I get to remember all the recipes. Because I think it's kind of, you know, like mechanic after a while. Mm-hmm. Like you just know which bottles to grab and how much it goes into a cocktail. But like, you know, paying attention for more than five minutes to a guy talking in front of me or like just learning a lot of terms. It was like, nah, it's not going to happen. So like I just realized I couldn't. So I just quit. Like Bizarre way. Uh, one of these things that, you know, most people will call a, a learning disadvantage almost comes in handy when you're a bartender and you can just focus on doing something for 30 seconds at a time and then you're on to the next thing. So, yeah. you know, it, it comes in handy. I think you're not alone in that one. I know I have issues like that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you, you, you need to have like a lot of order so you can... Weekend works. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you said you moved to Vancouver for a bit, and that was when you started bartending. Where were you working in Vancouver? So I was at this place called Sequoia Grill at the Tea House. I'm sure you know it. So it's a restaurant. So I started yeah. there as a dishwasher because one of my friends was a chef there. And she was like, just come and see if you like it. So I started as a dishwasher, and then I was like doing some prep, and I was like, nah, I'm not good for kitchen. So I went to work as a as a boss boy <laughs> and um i was just there you know helping all the servers and i got to to meet this bartender there so it's it's, it's like a really big restaurant and mm-hmm. i was i was just like i started working there after a week i arrived to vancouver and i just started asking a lot of questions and he was like dude just go to this code it's like super cool like It'll take you a year, just learn all the basic stuff, and then you can go on by yourself. So I went uh, to this place. It was called Metropolitan Bartending School, and it was, like, right upstairs a bar. So it was, like, kind of a copy of that bar. So you were, like, you know, it was, like, not just uh, all theory. So you could just do half of the theory, and then you were practicing with fake eyes, fake uh, booze, fake everything, fake customers. So it was, like, super, super cool, like... We didn't have that kind of schools here in Mexico. I mean, just like a couple years ago they started. So I don't, I don't know. It was like super fun. And then when I was there, I was like, like I don't know, it's like super snobby. Like I didn't quite uh, met any any bartenders at like super cool bars, like cocktail bars at that time. It was like, I don't know, it was like 15 years ago mm-hmm. or so. So I was missing like that you know, bar vibe in Mexico. So I came back and I started working at a place called Corazon de Maguey, 
which used to be called Maya Well from the Los Santos group. Sí. So I started working with, you know, all everything was mezcal. Yeah. You know, like uh, organic uh, mezcal cocktails, like just paying all the respect and attention to the to the to the mezcal itself and mm -hmm. working around it. So. So I'm going to go back. You said that was about 15 years ago, 2005, 2006. You were in Vancouver. Do you remember the name of the bartender at Sequoia Lounge that told you you should go to bartending school? Oh, shit. I should remember this. I just wasn't sure if you were still in touch with them or not because Vancouver... No, no, no not at all. I don't no. know. Uh, I was just curious because I know shortly after that, like 2008, 2009, 2010, Vancouver really stepped up as far as cocktails go. So I was curious okay. to see like who this person was and who was teaching at the school and if they're still around, you know? Hey, he was he was totally into wines. I think he was even studying as a, to be like a sommelier or something. Mm -hmm. And um, as as far as I recall, he was getting married or something. So he was like super super young. He was like studying all the time. I, I'll I'll try to remember. If not, I'll get them a name for you. Yeah, no no stress, you know. Um, and then when you move back to Mexico City and you're working at the Corazon de Piña or sorry Corazon de Maguey at this mezcal bar. In Mexico City in, you know, 2007, 2008, was Mezcal as popular as it is now? No, it wasn't. It was, like, actually kind of hard to sell Mezcal to people. Like, the, the customers were only getting it in cocktails. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was really hard for them to just go straight with it. Um, so we were in this bar program. I was working with this guy, which is a really good friend of mine. And he's got his own Mezcal brand now. So he's called Eric. With Alma Mezcalera. I don't mm -hmm. know if you ever heard of him, but yep. he's called the Indiana Jones of the Mezcal. It's amazing. So he was teaching me a lot of, of you know, the, the plant itself and how does they uh, get Mezcal done. And I went traveling with him. So we were approaching the, the Mezcal cocktails from the other side. Because, you know, most people were doing like Sprite and Blue Curacao and tons of syrup and Mezcal. And I was like, do you know how, like, how difficult it is to get Mezcal done? Yeah, it was a different way to, to approach to it. So, you know, all the all the bar staff at that time were like people that were loving mezcal. So it was easier for us to approach to the customers and, you know, making them fall in love with mezcal. So we started with cocktails and then we were step by step trying to introduce them to the to the drink itself so they could just, you know, drink it neat, right? Yeah. But yeah, it, it took a while. I mean, even even now, if you go to... I mean, I, I we went to bars in yeah I don't know London, Amsterdam, uh, Montreal, and you get to see the menus and you have like tons of cocktails with tequila, mezcal, raicilla, sotol. And here in Mexico, you go to bars and you have like one or two maybe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think we're starting to understand like all the cool stuff we have in Mexico. So it's gonna take a while now. I know. I it's funny because I feel the same way whenever I've been in Mexico. You know, anytime we've gone and hung out and drank around Mexico City, it's always funny to me because it feels like there's so much amazing stuff, whether it's fruit or mezcal or ricea in Mexico, but then going out and drinking in Mexican bars and there's so much gin and tea and all these other things that yeah. come from other places. And that's not a bad thing. It's just really cool to see a city that literally has, you know, in its backyard, all of these amazing spirits. And it's just like, yeah, those are cool and we have those, but we also have this other cool stuff. And it's really cool to see such an expansive uh, take on the world of bartending in a city, even though people might associate the culture with only being interested in, in agave spirits, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's going to take a while. And I think after this pandemic, we're going to get to work a lot with, you know, local stuff, mm -hmm. local, 
yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, brands are making their own uh, Mexican whiskey, Mexican gin, Mexican bitters, Mexican everything, right? Yeah. So I, I think like we're so used to see agave everywhere, you know, tequila, mezcal, that people are not that interested into it. But I mean, after a while, I, I started working in mezcalerias. Like uh, I started as a server in um, in a French restaurant for a couple of years, and then I went to to Los Ansantes and. That was when I fall in love with all the Mexican things, you know, like I wasn't really appreciating them before that. So mm-hmm. you, you need to be in touch with all these people and, and take a look and all the job that involves all these uh, great um, spirits we have in Mexico. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like baby steps. Yeah. So I'm going to go the other way entirely. The first time I think you and I were ever in contact, our friend Evelyn Chick was the winner of the Beefeater competition in Canada in 2015, and you were the winner in Mexico in 2015. Did you find being part of that competition changed how you thought about your career, and how do you feel about big competitions now? Do you have any advice for anyone if they want to do it? How do you feel about big competitions? I think that totally changed my way of looking at the industry big time. Like, before that, I just... I was just in two small competitions, like mezcal competitions here in Mexico City. So they were just local. And um, I was like big time afraid of being in this one because, you know, I, was, I wasn't I was that popular in the industry. And um, in this competition, we had like a lot of bartenders that were, that were like super, super known here, like guys from Limantour and Artemisia and, you know, all those kind of... Um, cocktail bars and um well that was my first time in a big one and i got to know like a lot of people um that that's where i met like a, a lot of bartenders that now are like super super good friends of mine but at that time i was like a baby mm-hmm. and um yeah after i won that it was crazy because i went to london and like every single bartender had their or their um uh brand ambassador from each country and i was like all there by myself Right. And then, yeah, I got this, uh, like, uh, cool adoption from, you know, the guys from um, from Colombia and some guys from Spain. And I don't know, after that competition, I was, like, so um, addicted to competitions. Like, I mean, I didn't want, but it was, like, such a big experience. Like, I, I, I never thought I could do something like that. And when I came back, I was, like, in six or seven more competitions. And I was, like, I could make it to the finals with many brands and, you know, visiting a lot of countries and getting to know more people. And like, for me, winning was about that, you know, like getting to get out of the city and knowing more peoples and brands and how everything was made. So yeah, I think it, it changed completely what I was thinking about, you know, every, every single bottle in my bar and, and I know how we work in different places except from Mexico city. Mm-hmm. Get to actually experience how people have different approaches to the same ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so you did that for a while. And then once uh, the beef eater competition is over, that's when Kaito opened. Yeah. No, it was, um, so it was the beef eater competition. And then, let me, let me recall, I was working at Alexander. Mm-hmm. So it used to be this place in Alvaro Obregón, like super close to the Mantour. And then I was waiting for another cocktail bar to open. And it took me like, I think it was maybe a year after that. 
and then yeah Kaito happened and I mean it was like four years and a half ago I started working here and uh, yeah so, Alexander was my last bar before this so anyone that hasn't been to Kaito um I know before I started recording off air you were saying Kaito is like upstairs from a restaurant do you want to talk about Kaito and how it's laid out and uh what sort of stuff you do there we have this traditional Japanese restaurant downstairs, which is called Deigo. And Kaito used to be the karaoke for this place, but you couldn't get in except if you were Japanese or like some, um, like, you know, well-known customer here. So it's like a speakeasy for all these Japanese guys. And then uh, the friends of mine purchased this place and, well, the owners changed. And my sister, who is the architecture of Kaito, was like, listen, these dudes want to talk to you, they want to come over and take this place. And when I got here, I was like, Colonia del Valle, I don't know, like, there's nothing around here. It's like a family neighborhood. So I came here and I was talking to them and they were like, listen, um, it's going to be your baby. Like, you're going to be the Vermana here. You get to do whatever you want. We trust in you. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. So it's a cocktail bar, which is inspired in a, in a Japanese isekaya which was the main idea. They just wanted to open an isekaya, which is like this tiny bar where Japanese guys go after work every day, like a Mexican cantina, sort of. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, I got to, to do all this from scratch, like building uh, my staff, which is like, I think, I'm pretty sure we're the first 100% uh, operated female bar. Like since the people who, I mean, since um, my sister who built it and then, like, all my stuff are girls, and we're all, like, servers and bartenders and barbacks and everything. And it's been, like, this for four years now. And, um, well, it's a place where you can come and, you know, just relax. It's an open place for everyone. Uh, what we wanted to do was to stop people fearing for asking some new things in a bar. That happens a lot. And that's why most people stay with, you know, like a, a beer or a Cuba Libre because they don't know anything. So we kind of started... You know, like introducing to the customers what Kaito was and what kind of cocktails. And we were doing like funny, like fun presentations, like with weird ingredients, you know, like, I don't know, wasabi syrup and some um, teriyaki barbecue sauce. I don't know, like playing with whatever we could, working with the, um, with the chef here, which, of course, like, I mean, working with Japanese guys was totally different for me. And, mm -hmm. um, so what we have here is like great food because we're a, a restaurant bar, not just a cocktail bar. So the food is, an, is as an important as drinks, really good drinks. But I think the, the main uh, part of guide is the staff. I think the girls we have here are amazing and they make the whole thing, you know, be different, have a different vibe. Um, we want it to be the, the kind of bar you could go like whenever you want, like even if you're in your PJs, you know, like, I mean, it's just a place where you can feel like drinking at home. It's like super cozy. And I think that's it. I mean, we're, we're, we're adapting ourselves now to this pandemic situation. And it's going to change a bit. But, I mean, we're going to maintain our essence here. And the idea of having an entirely female or, or woman bar staff, was that on purpose? Or is that did that just kind of happen and now you're sticking with it? You know, it kind of happened because every time, like, Every time I'm as, I, I'm working as a as a bar manager, I'm always hiring girls. Because I mean, when I started, it was kind of hard for me, and then I just realized I work better with girls. Like like there's like more um, 
you know, they're more like, uh, how do you say this? Like, they take a lot of time for, you know, garnishes. They're more like super clean. And, and we have like all these, um, how do you say, talks? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we're super, super uh, compulsive, you know, in order and things. And I just kind of felt more comfortable working with them. I mean, it's like I love having guys at the bar. Most of my best friends are guys. You know, the brand ambassadors coming here and doing guest shifts, and it's amazing, and there's a lot of fun. But I really, really need my bar to be, like, in super, super order. So, I, I don't know. It just kind of worked better with girls. And it just kind of happened. It just worked like that. And then every time I hire a new a new person here, like, I mean, I tried with guys, but they just didn't fit. I think it was, like, for a guy being with four girls, it was hard for them, too. So it just kind of kind of were like that mm-hmm. and you still have a karaoke room at Caito de Valle yeah yeah it's like a like a VIP room so it's like a private room so we just have like one cabin which is hidden be- behind the ocean spray machine door yeah so we yeah what we wanted to do was you know as I told you like uh, Caito used to be a, a whole karaoke trashy weird Asian bar for these Japanese guys mm-hmm. and when when we changed all the the image of it, we wanted to keep like that secret place hidden there. So, I mean, yeah, it's a place for like 15 people and it's like a private for you and your friends. And we have like this funny button. So you press it and a red light um, goes on in the bar and we know we have to go there and take care of you. But yeah, it's like a different vibe right there. It's yeah. like the, the crazy room. Besides managing Kaito and having your staff and hiring everybody and working with all these different ingredients that you weren't used to, you're now also the Mexican brand ambassador for Frenet Branca. Yeah, that's amazing. How did you get that job? <laughs> I love Frenet. And that was really funny because I just love Frenet. I, I, I mean, I've been drinking Frenet for a, for a long time now because when I started working in, in the industry, you know, most of the managers at the restaurants, when you feel, um, when you have like a, how do you say, uh, stomach yeah, pain or you, something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you feel that, they're like, just drink it. Because that's like, in Mexico, you either have it in, in a drink called La Piedra, which is like for hangovers, mm-hmm. and and just uh, as a medicine. So I started like that, like a long time ago. And then I met all these guys from Argentina when they were drinking it with Coke. And I was like, the first one I had, I was like, ew, this tastes like medicine. And after that, I just love it. Like every Friday, I just wanted to go out with them and drink it. And then whenever I was working in a bar, I, I tried to put in cocktails and just, you know, have shots because I just uh, realized I could do like tons of Renee shots and I was doing okay next morning. So mm-hmm. I just fall in love with it. And then I wanted a coin so bad because in Mexico, we don't have coins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't used to have coins. And I was talking with the guy who used to bring Fernet to the place that the, the guy I was uh, buying it from. And he was like, listen, I know a guy which is now my boss. And um, he was like, I'll introduce, I, I, yeah, I'll introduce you to And I was like, okay, I'll do a Fernet night here in Kaito. So that night was like all Fernet, like all, you know, all the cocktails, like whatever you could ask for was, like, you know, it had Fernet in it. And this guy was like, okay, you earn your coin. There's your coin. Do you want to work for me? And I was like, hell yeah. He was like, I love your cocktails. I can see you love Fernet. That's really, really weird in, in Mexico. 
I already had a tattoo, a Fernet tattoo, so he was like, I'm hiring you. Like, you know, you already love the brand. The next step is, like, easier for me to teach or, like, for you to learn. So, yeah, it just happened. I think it's really funny that you wanted a Fernet coin so bad that you ended up becoming the brand ambassador. I know. (laughs) That was super cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Did you... I know brand ambassadors have been around Mexico for a while. I'm, you know, I'm old friends with Joseph Mortera as well. But was there yeah. any was there any brand ambassador friends that sort of helped you make the transition to being a brand ambassador? Like little tips and tricks about how to manage that job. I was like asking most of my friends. Like Joseph was one of them. Yeah. I was like, dude, I just got this because I mean, different from lots of brand ambassadors, I was. You, you know, like working with the bar and being a brand ambassador. So it was like the first year was crazy. I was so tired. Like I wasn't sleeping at all. Like I was trying to do everything because at that time, the company they used to bring Fernet in Mexico was, you know, they, they didn't have people working um, on the streets, like like visiting bars or nothing. So it was all on me. And I mean, I was going crazy. And I started asking Joseph, um, Oscar Valle, like, you know, little tips, like, how do you do this? Because I'm, like, I'm going crazy. And, you know, tips as, as, as I don't know, as stupid as, how do you manage to drink that much? Because every time I go somewhere or every time I have people visiting here, it's like, hey, there you go for nice shots. And they expect to drink, for me to drink all of those shots. So, I don't know, in a night, sometimes I get, like, eight or ten shots and it gets crazy, you know? And then... They were like, listen, just put some Coke on the on the bottle and just pretend. <laughs> like, yeah, that never worked for me. <laughs> I got busted every time. So I'm just, yeah, I just developed like, you know, how to drink like tons of uh, water glasses or so. But yeah, I was asking for some things like, I don't know, how do you manage to, you know, have a normal life and being a brand ambassador? You're traveling all the time. Like, because for the first two years I was traveling all the time. So I wasn't even at my place and then I had to do all the, the bar managing. So it was crazy. But you have it, you feel like you've balanced it out by now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. You know, who's like one of the, the people that, that I admire the most. And it's like, she's always helping me is Camille. Oh yeah. La Lova. She's like the best. Yeah. It's, it's really important to make sure that you have those relationships with people so you can bounce ideas off of them. Yeah. You know, make sure that make sure that you're doing things well and taking care of yourself. And keeping it real, because there's like something weird going on here in Mexico with brand ambassadors. I mean, with like the new ones. So I didn't want it to, you know, just screw things up. Yeah. And so since you've started working with Fernet, is it still very much a bartender thing and it's only in cocktails or only in shots? Or does everybody drink Fernet now? No, it got crazy. I mean, you know, the the coin thing, I just made like a hundred for Mexico and everyone was like, how the hell do I get a coin? I was like, dude, it took me years. Now you're going to like earn it. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people started to drink a lot of uh, Fernet shots. Like every time they're drinking something, they, you know, they post pictures and they tag me like, hey, look, I'm drinking Fernet. And they started working within in cocktails because... I think before this, there wasn't a lot of Fernet here. Like, I mean, it was, it used to be this bottle that used to be at every bar, but nobody was drinking it. And every time you saw the bottle, it was because there was like a table with Argentina guys. Yeah. Or like an old guy feeling bad. And he was like, send me a piedra, which is like just um, 
anise tequila and fernet, which right. is a drink like you can't really enjoy, but it's helpful. So, yeah, I was I mean, going to say, do you drink that like a shot? You don't sip that, do you? No, you you drink that like a shot. Yeah, but just one because after two you're done. <laughs> yeah, so, no kidding. Yeah, but it's it's like a cantina drink. So I mean. Mm-hmm. That's not like the best uh, way to introduce Fernet to anyone. So, I mean, what we're doing is like going around different bars and, you know, showing some basic cocktails and like, look, like Fernet's amazing. It's so easy to mix it. Just, you know, don't fear it anymore. Drink it, try it. And now people are making tons of cocktails, which is like super cool. That is really cool. Good. It means it means it was worth it for you to chase down that coin and take that job. Yeah. Uh, And also this year in 2020, obviously everything is weird, but congratulations, you were nominated as best international bartender for Tales of the Cocktail. So, how does that process work? Like, did you know ahead of time? Did they reach out to you or did you just kind of show up Uh, online one day? uh, It just showed up online. So, I was sleeping and my girlfriend was like, Wake up, wake up, you're nominated. I was like, What the fuck? Like, (laughs) I just. I, I just, I don't know, it was weird. Like, a year before that, I was in Tales of the Cocktail, and I was like, I want to go to the party so bad. I wish I was nominated one year so I could just go to the party. And then this happened, and COVID fucked me up, you know? Like, Jesus. <laughs> like, and then I made the, um, I'm, I'm in the Havana Entrepreneur, mm-hmm. too. So I'm in the top 10 finals right now. And I was like, damn it, I wanted to go to Cuba. <laughs> like, I mean, it was it was a weird year. It um it's been a, a surprising year, in, you know, for me growing up in the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, I know it's it's kind of weird and kind of crazy. Like, I still don't get it. But it's like being with all those guys was like big, big time for me. So I, I don't know. I, I think in this year it was like uh, a push, pushing me to do better stuff and, you know, keep keep keeping me creative and keeping me wanting to do more stuff. Yeah. So it was like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I know the answer to this question already, but are you the sort of bar manager that would go after these awards and like you're trying to do things that people will notice or are you just trying to do cool shit so that then people hopefully will notice on their own? I think I'm just doing cool shit. I mean, I love doing this. I, I, I can't imagine myself being without a bar. Like, yeah. I love making drinks. I love creating cocktails. I love working with my staff and just go crazy with everything we have. And, you know, that, that fun part that I was afraid uh, when I became a, a brand ambassador because most of the brands tell you, like, listen, you need to quit. You can't be bartending anymore because now you work for a brand. So I think for me, it's like, listen, I have, uh, you know, Claudia as a brand ambassador, Claudia in Caito de Valle, and just Claudia. It's I don't know it's weird but like, yeah I just I just love doing my job and just being with the staff and you know practice with them and training them and just making this bigger community and just uh, enjoying what I do I don't want to lose that so I think it's just yeah doing cool shit. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, I can end it there. That was a great ending note. If people want to reach out to you or try to find you or if people are in Mexico and want to know where to go drink when that's all possible again. How do they, how do people find you? I think Instagram, I'm always there. So they can just text me like, Hey, I want to go there tonight or whatever. And I'll be here. And what's your Instagram? So it's at K L A W K L A W. Right. 
Perfect. Uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk. Hopefully all of the uh, new training and new rules around COVID in Mexico City uh, are lifted and become easier to work with. And uh, oh, yeah, that thanks. Would be amazing. Yeah, thanks no, again. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for the call and everything. Thanks again to Claudia for joining me on what seems to be the last Bartender Atlas podcast. Yeah, this was a year-long project that I decided I would take on just to see how I felt about it. I, you know, learned some stuff, refamiliarized myself with audio editing software, um, which is something that I used to do a million years ago. We might do one more episode where it might just be Jess and I talking. Not sure if that's going to happen. If you absolutely love the Bartender Atlas podcast and you want me to keep doing episodes, send us an email, bartenderatlas at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you've learned, like I have, that great bartenders can come from anywhere and have any level of skills going into working at a bar. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up being the most popular, the most famous, the best bar manager, award-winning, whatever, but what you're doing is contributing to an entire community, and that's what's really most important. In the meantime, be well, John Spartan. Si tú necesitas en español, es, uh, es bueno. Something, okay. Yeah, if someone, honestly, if someone listening can't take the time to figure out that you're answering something in Spanish and is too impatient about it, that's their problem, not yours.